I would spill that if I kept it up here, so I may have to retreat down there on occasion in case my mouth gets a little dry when speaking to you this morning. I imagine some of y'all might be a little surprised to see Matt Wade up here preaching to you this morning, and all I can tell you is you are not near as surprised as I am. (laughs) As a matter of fact, when I went to go have lunch with Todd, and he broached the topic with me about speaking, um, I thought to myself, poor Todd. He meets with so many people. (laughs) Thank you, Bonnie. Always thinking and always serving. I now have no excuse. (laughs) You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you're here for me. And as a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and and say a number of y'all have been coming up to me and have been telling me that you've been praying for me um, ever since you learned that I'd be teaching this morning. And, um, you know, it's amazing. Doug prayed with me right before. Carrie prayed for me. Um, I ran into Claire uh, Bruffy at Mountain Hideaway, she said that they, she had been praying for me with Ms. Courtney. Anyway, the point being is that is incredibly comforting. And I know that because of your prayers, there's some things that, uh, that are going to be easier for me this morning, and hopefully we'll learn something about the Lord. But going back to um, Todd and me feeling bad for him, I thought for sure when he said this, that he simply, you know, he goes and he meets with so many people, and he has lunch with lots of people, and I thought, well, poor guy, he has forgotten who he was having lunch with today. (laughs) There was someone else that he clearly meant to talk to about teaching this morning, and as we talked more, it became very clear that that wasn't the case. He was serious, and he wanted me to be the one to teach this morning, and um, needless to say, this is a, uh, while I really enjoy uh, teaching our, our, uh, our adult Bible fellowship, Um, This is something that's a little bit out of my element. So that, and combined with the fact, and some of y'all I know experience this too, I dropped off my daughter at 6 a.m. up here at church this morning. And so I'm a little tired. And I couldn't, of course, go back to sleep, so I just drank more coffee. So when you have the combination of being out of your element, drinking lots of coffee, and being tired, there's a chance that you might seem a little nervous up here, and I am, just a little bit. Another good sign that I'm a little bit nervous this morning is that I'm wearing a tie. (laughs) And it's not because when I'm nervous I wear ties, it's because for me, this is sort of my uniform. I wear ties all the time, so this is sort of a defense for me, is to have this tie on, and it kind of gives me that little extra shield, if you will, between me and you... (laughs) Anyway, all that being said and all joking aside, um, when I did, and of course when I met with Todd, he has everything planned out, so he already knew what I would be teaching on this morning, Um, and after reading these verses, and I'm sure because of your prayers and the Holy Spirit, I just got more and more excited about the verses that we're going to get to read this morning. This is a great, great passage, and... While I think that, and what my fear is, that I'll be done in 10 minutes, my wife's fear is that I won't get done in time. 
I am very excited to be up here this morning, and I hope that my excitement, and I hope the excitement that I have for these passages will be conveyed to you this morning. So before we get started, let's pray. Our most dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, I thank you, I thank you for this opportunity to come together as believers to come together to study this passage, this wonderful passage in Acts. What a wonderful picture that we're given. So much that is in these words, dear Lord. Dear Lord, let us just all remember that ultimately, every single thing, all words that are within here, everything that we talk about this morning is about you. And dear Lord, may everything that we do here this morning bring glory and honor to you. So, dear Lord, help us set aside any distractions that we might have. Help us set aside the person that's delivering the message. And help us just remember that it's all about you. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior's name that we pray. Amen. You know, Tom came up to me, Tom Katie came up to me right before, and uh, to give me encouragement, as only Tom can give. Um, <laughs> to get started this morning, and one of the things that he said is, you know what, if all else fails, just read the verses straight through, say amen, brother, and then you'll be done. And in many ways, that would be true, but I don't think that's what Todd had in mind, and I, I would be disappointed in myself if that's all that we did this morning. Um, but if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue on where Todd left off last Sunday, and I... For those of y'all that that sometimes hear me teach in um, our Bible fellowship, you know that one of the things that I have to do is backtrack just a little bit and remind us of the setting and where we are today, right? Where we are is we're, it's Pentecost. It's 50 days from the day of the first fruits is what Pentecost is. It's approximately 50 days since the Lord was crucified and has risen from the dead. Jesus appeared for them with them for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven, right? And then after he ascended into heaven, the apostles got together, and the Holy Spirit came down upon them with the sound of a violent wind, right? And after the Holy Spirit came down upon them, they were given a gift, and that gift was the ability to speak to the Jews as though they were speaking in those Jews' native tongues. And you think, well, what is, I mean, do they not all speak? Well, they don't, because if you'll, if you'll remember, back in, in, the, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And then it goes through a list, then, of where these God-fearing Jews were from. So the gift was that they were being able to speak as though everybody was hearing them in their own native language. That combined with the sound ended up drawing a crowd to them, right? And this crowd, as Todd told us in one of his earlier sermons, he said, you know, there probably were two kinds of people that were there. Some who were really interested in seeing what was going on, and who probably knew that there was more to this story and that there was something significant going on. And then there were some that were probably skeptics, probably some that just wanted to be out there out of curiosity. 
but really were just there just to see what was happening, right? So you've got two groups of people in there. This is what's happening. You've had the Holy Spirit come down upon the apostles. The skeptics started saying, these guys are drunk. And that's when Peter steps forward and says, no, 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 it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Let me explain to you what is going on. And that's where we were last week with Todd. And, and Todd did such a wonderful job of what he described as probably the most important sermon ever preached. And there's a good argument for that. So what was that sermon that Peter preached? What was it that came out that day? Peter pointed out to those Jews that day, through the prophet Joel and through David, how Jesus of Nazareth actually met both the, the prophecy of Lord and Savior. That was a significant, a hugely significant thing for him to be saying to these people. They had not thought or fully comprehended, I guess would be the better idea. Not only was this the anointed one, the Messiah, but this was also God himself. They had not comprehended that. This was something that was probably overwhelming to many of them. Because think about this. They had just turned this man, the Son of God, over to the Romans to be crucified. And now they're being told with absolute clarity because Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told, that he was both your Savior and your Lord. An amazing, amazing thought in and of itself. And that's where we start off today is what now happens after that. So if you join with me in verse 37 of chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Okay, let's stop there. I've read one verse, and so many of y'all are thinking, Oh boy, this isn't going well for us getting done at noon. But there's, there's so much in there, and I think it's really, really important for us to go through this part a little bit at the beginning, step by step, and then, and then we'll be looking at some in, in, greater, in greater verses together. But look at that to begin with. When people heard this, they were cut or pierced to the heart. Heard what? Well, we just talked about it, right? They heard Peter, who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, explain to them and quote from them, both from Joel and from Psalms, what Jesus represented. You know, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In Ephesians, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Their hearts were being cut and were being pierced by the Word of God that was being presented to them by Peter. 
That's what hit them so hard. They had heard the Word of God, and guess what? The Holy Spirit is working already inside of them. And their hearts being cut, being pierced by that. And then they ask a great question, right? They ask the question, Brethren, brothers, what shall we do? Now this isn't the the question of, okay, what shall we do? No, put it in the context of your heart being pierced. What what, What should this remind you of? And I'm sure many of you probably can, if you will, can think of your own experiences. But when you first started seeking out the Lord as your Savior, when you first started trying to decide or were deciding that, you know, I'm, I'm not. This isn't right. You know, a lot of times we call about that tugging on the heart, sometimes that pain that's inside of you. Something has occurred to you. Something is happening inside of you. And you know that something's got to change inside of you. Right? This is the moment before you accept Christ as your Savior. That, that piercing, that pressure... Basically, you're in surrender at this point in time. These people who asked this question, these God-fearing Jews, we're told, that asked this question, they've just been told and they've just come to realize that their Lord, their Savior, their people have crucified. They have a physical pain inside of them that tells them, oh my, what shall we do? This is is the example of the beginning of where they're about to be born again. They are about to hit that point. This is that that emotional pressure that you get before you finally get on your knees and accept Christ as your Savior, you know and realize how broken you really are, and that's where they are today. And that's the question, and that's how you need to view that question, is they are broken and they realize it. And so they ask Peter, what shall we do? So let's read on. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That, those two verses in and of themselves can and in many times are the full sermons that you'll hear. But we're going to do more than that. But we are going to sit there and spend some time in it because there's so many important things that come in there. And what's the very first thing that Peter says when he replies to the question, what shall we do? Repent. Right? That's the very, very first thing that comes from Peter's mouth. 
Now, repentance isn't something that's new to us here at Melanie Park. Todd has preached. We've preached about repentance here at Melanie Park on numerous times. So it's, but it's good to remember exactly what repentance means and what it is. What is repentance? It's a lot more than just feeling bad, right? Just feeling, I mean, they obviously have this problem inside of them where they are feeling bad, but it's more than that. It's way more than that. In fact, that's just really not it. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is switching directions, changing 180 degrees, making an active and purposeful decision to change what you're doing and why you're doing it. That's what repentance, repentance, sorry, my West Texas parts, repentance comes out. Maybe I can make it into a one-syllable word before long. Many times it's described in the New Testament as turning from darkness to light. Because we know we really only have two choices, right? We only have two choices here on this earth. We are either going down the path towards darkness or we're going down the path towards light. And the first thing that Peter says is repent. So the implication being to them that are hearing him, these God-fearing Jews, repent. You're on the wrong path, guys. Turn around. Head the other direction. Also, this whole concept of repent, repent, I'm going to, you know, repentance. Can I just go ahead and can we all just say that's okay? And then when whoever listens to this on podcast that whatnot, they'll know at least that I'm from West Texas and that's where it comes from. Repentance. Repentance is also something that isn't, that isn't in, as far as the New Testament goes, certainly isn't anything new. What did John the Baptist preach? Repentance, right? What was one of the first, th- first things, according to Matthew, that Jesus preached? In verse 4.17, repent to repent. In fact, with John the Baptist... And Luke, it says that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance isn't anything new. And it isn't something that should be shocking, but it is for them. Because you have to remember, these folks right here, these God-fearing, these God-fearing Jews, were not and did not think until that point in time that they were headed in the wrong direction. What did they need to turn from? What was the change that they needed to make in their lives? What was the purposeful decision that they needed to make? And this is very important because it goes right in the context for the rest of, the, the rest of these verses. What was the purposeful decision that they needed to make? This all flows so much together. The purposeful decision was the recognition that Jesus was Lord and Savior. You're like, well, yes, Matt, you've said that all up to this point in time. But if, if until that point in time you had not realized who Jesus was and all of a sudden it becomes something that is very obvious to you, all of a sudden because of that piercing of the heart, because of the word of the Lord that has pierced your heart, you now are having your eyes opened and you now see 
that you're heading down the wrong path, that's a pretty big deal. It's a really big deal. It's the significant deal because in your heart, you are now beginning to recognize what you are missing and what you have to have. Who you have to have. The complete acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Only God, the Lord, has the capability of forgiving of sins. That's a realization now. Remember, this is the one that in a relatively short time ago had been turned over to be crucified. And this is the one that you are now having to accept and knowing you need to accept as your Lord and Savior. That is what repent means in the context of these verses. Accept, do the 180 degree, 80 degree change. Accept. Up to that point in time, you had thought Jesus was a blasphemer and deserved to die. That was the conventional wisdom and that's what the Jews were thinking. Now you're saying, no. Not only was he not who we thought he was, you go from thinking that he's this criminal to thinking that he is God himself who has died for you. Would you not say that that is a 180 degree change from where you were thinking before? That's what Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, means when he says, repent. And then he goes on. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now this particular verse, at times, has caused confusion among Christians because we're talking about baptism here, and it says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And there are some who will sit there and read that to mean that baptism, water baptism, the baptism is something that is a requirement for, for salvation. I don't think, even reading in the context of this verse here, that that's what that means. And that's not what we believe here at Melanie Park. Baptism is an ordinance for us to follow. It is the public proclamation that when you do decide to accept Christ as your Savior, you're to do that. You're to be baptized to let everyone know the decision that you've made. And there's lots of verses, right? One of the things that we do know about the Lord's Word is it's not meant to be confusing. It's not supposed to contradict, and it doesn't contradict one another, and it's not meant to be confusing. And so to read, that, read this in another way, to me, would be confusing because we do have a number of verses, right, that sit there and confirm the fact that it is faith alone in Christ alone, and nothing more. In fact, in Acts itself, we will learn as we read on in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Does it say through his name and through his name? 
In Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. In Romans, if you declare with your mouth, this is Romans 10, verses 9 to 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then, of course, the verse that I remember learning as a kid a long time ago, John 3.16. So clear. For God so loved the world, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's not a litany, Right? And this is a gift. This isn't something that we earn. This isn't something that we go out and do good works. And we know this, right? This is, this is what we know here at Melanie Park to be the truth. So don't be confused. But the baptism is important. And it's very important that it's here. And let's think about this. What we know baptism to be is the public proclamation of your faith in Christ. You know, I was, I've had the wonderful blessing of witnessing both my daughters, most recently Annabelle, be baptized, making their public proclamation to the church and to the world that they are now part of the church body. It's witnessed lots of children, adults, young adults come here and make that public proclamation. And it is, as we all know, a hugely significant event. But I want you to think about doing that this day in this context. You are a Jew who clearly is being pierced to the heart by the Word of God. You know that something has to change, that there's something different you now realize that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And now you're being told, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They're being told to go publicly in front of fellow Jews who do not believe like them and to make that proclamation. You know, it's one thing to be sitting there and be pierced by the heart and say, oh, oh, yeah. But there's a whole other step. And it's aligning yourself now with the group of people that up to this point in time were considered heretics. You're now going to be aligning with them and you're going to be aligning with the person who like I said, conventional wisdom had as a blasphemer, and you're going to align yourself with them, and you're going to publicly say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior by being baptized, and that Jesus is the one who forgives your sins. That's another acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. If you were one of those that were sitting there listening to Peter that day, that's a tough, that's another tough step that you're going to have to take. And it's an implication then for those who do follow exactly where their hearts are. And that's the significance of talking about 
Peter's saying, repent and be baptized. Let the world know publicly now, today, this very day, go. Lots and lots of people, lots of your fellow Jews are there. You are to go and publicly state, this is what I now believe. That is a huge and monumental step for these folks. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Well, well, one of the things that we know, and they're going to know, the Holy Spirit's already been indwelling Peter at this point in time, but is the Holy Spirit already working inside of them? Yes. The Holy Spirit's already there. Their hearts are being pierced. They're the ones who ask the question, who, how do you think they get the gumption to sit there and do that? There's a working going on in their hearts right now. And they're about to understand that they're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that they can. Sometimes I don't. Well, I know lots of times I don't fully comprehend what all that means. But they're being told that. Their sins are forgiven. And they're going to receive the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Sins being forgiven. Think about that one for a minute. How significant that is. If you've just realized that you were on track before hearing this message, that Jesus being crucified, and now you realize He's your Lord and Savior, you also realize, because you've heard the stories at this point in time, that He has risen from the dead, that He's been resurrected, you might be very grateful for forgiveness of sins at this point in time too. The promise is for you and your children. Who are we talking about? For you. These are God-fearing Jews that we're talking about that were there. Your children. And what else does it say? And all who are far off, for all... For all whom the Lord our God will call. Who are those who are far off? Everyone. Us. Gentiles. Right? You have you, your children, and those who are far off. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, when Paul is talking about the Gentiles, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 19, 20 in Ephesians. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as a chief cornerstone. Those who are far away and far off. That's who this promise is for. Not only is it for you, Jews who are hearing this today, but it is going to be for everyone. It's, this is a promise for the world. All right, let's read on. Well, we know for sure I'm not going to be done in ten minutes. Um, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized in about 3,000 Souls were added to their number that day. 3,000 people were added to that day. So we know that Peter went on to preach 
after he answered the question. And one of the things he said was, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Here's Peter. He's got a group that want to know the answer. There's probably more other people listening to him. And he tells this group, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He is carving, these people are being carved out right now, right? This corrupt generation. The same generation that has just turned over their Lord and Savior to be crucified. This generation that we know in 70 AD, they're going to end up destroying. The Romans are going to end up destroying Jerusalem. They're going to kill hundreds of thousands of Jews. And he's telling them, save yourselves. You need to separate yourselves from this folks. And this is what's so amazing. 3,000 were baptized and were added to the number that day. 3,000. Now, there may have been hundreds of thousands of people there, but how many did we, were we starting off with? 120, right? That's what it says earlier. There were 100, approximately 120 that were in the house when the Holy Spirit came down. So Peter goes and he tells them and he exhorts to them exactly who Christ is, pierced the Holy Spirit works in, and 3,000 in one day are being baptized and are added to the number. I find that incredible. You know, some commentaries would say that that's not as, you know, it's not very many considering the multitudes that might have been there. But for me, I wouldn't, you wouldn't put 3,000 in there unless that was a significant number. And I see it as a significant number. 120, you just want to sit there and do the math. 120 bringing in 3,000, that's quite the return. It's un, to me, that is hugely significant that there were 3,000 that were drawn in. Let's read on. Oh, wait. Wait, 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 wait. Now think about this. 3,000 were added, and we're about to start the first church. Who made up this church? All of them are born-again believers that were baptized on the same day. There was no formal church. There was no history. There were no denominations. There was no doctrinal debates going on. None of that is there. Right? It is all brand new. It's one of those, you know, there's so many, I, I love history, and there's so many times in history when I want to go back and just see and witness kind of invisibly what's going on. And this is one of those. I like to see the conversations that they're having. And we're going to get a glimpse right now of what this looks like. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's so much right in and of theirs. This is what the first church looked like. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't say Peter. They didn't say John. All the apostles. They devoted themselves to their teaching. They wanted to know more. Now that they have done this, they've made this proclamation, they are eager. They want to know more. What else did they devote themselves to? And by the way, remember what devotion means. It means ardently following. This desire to do it. 
They devoted themselves to fellowship. We know that once you become part of, once you declare and become and are saved and are a Christian, you become part of a one body, right? In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about us all being part of one body. This now is one body, and they're joining fellowship with one another because not only do they have the same beliefs, but there's a good chance that because of the decision that they've made, they've now been ostracized and have been separated from family, from friends, from others who did not make the same choice they did. They have now, they now are them and them alone. They're all together, and they're enjoying one another's fellowship. Can, do you think that those 3,000 were all like close friends and family? Of course not. The Holy Spirit was working within them, but they came, became close friends, and they became family, and they became the first church family together, and they were enjoying one another's fellowship. Devoted to the breaking of bread. I think that's a clear reference to the Lord's Supper. We find out later on as we read that they also ate together, but I think that there's a reason why they refer to the breaking of bread here, and then they talk about eating together later, because I think this is the other ordinance that they are talking about sharing with one another. I mean, they're learning from the apostles, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Jesus had told them what to do as far as the breaking of bread and celebrating the Lord's Supper. So that, that's what they were doing, devoted to doing it. And what else, what else were they devoted to doing? Prayer. They prayed together. So what are, some of the, what are some of the things then that because of this new church and because of what's happening, we're then told of what this looked like? Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together, continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's where they went. They went to the courts of the temple to meet. To me, that's pretty amazing to sit there. You might think that they would have gone off somewhere else and to be secretive about it, but no. They were going to the temple courts and they were, and they were together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were examples, enjoying the favor of all the people. They were examples because of what they were doing, who they are, how they were devoted to the Lord. They ended up being examples not only among themselves but to those around them. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had everything in common. If you'll flip over, and I hope I don't get in trouble with Todd, but if, if and you don't have to go there, I'll just read it to you. Flip over, we get another idea of this in chapter 4, verse 32 of Acts. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. 
There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. This is what the church looked like at the beginning. What a beautiful picture of one body of Christians acting together. Wouldn't it be neat just to walk into that and see how that on the ground looked like? Amanda, I promise I'll be done quick. One of the things that we have to do that that is important for us, and, and we'll wrap it up with this, is how do we apply this? How do we apply these verses to us? How, does it, how, how is it that this is going to be something that we, from a practical application, can take out with us? And I think there's a couple of things. First, the very first thing you need to decide is, are you still the person asking the question? Brothers, what do we do now? Are you still that person? Are you feeling the piercing, the cutting at the heart? Are you feeling that right now? If you are, then I would say follow what Peter tells you to do. Repent. Turn. Seek out the Lord's Word. Talk with those around you who are believers. You're being pierced and that feeling in your heart is for a reason. And it's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Then for those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, what are we to do? And you can say, well, it talks about what the church does, but we've already talked about the church. We are the church. We all make up the one body of the church. So when you say the church, you should be saying, what should, how should I apply this to me? Well, pretty clear to me. Are we devoted to the same things that they were devoted to? The apostles' teaching. We've got it in written form sitting in front of us. Are we devoted to it? Do we read it? What about fellowship with one another? I think we do a great job as a church body of sitting there and and worshiping through the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. Prayer. And then on the flip side of that, you know, all these things may be great. On the flip side of that is, what were they doing together when they got together? They were selling their possessions, right? I am not telling you to go and sell everything you own right now, today. But what I am telling you is, and that was all they, everything that they were doing, they weren't being told to do that. That was what they were doing voluntarily. What I am suggesting to you is, look The reason they did that is they felt they filled the need. Look around. Is there a need that our church body has and something that you can provide for it? Time, teaching, what have you. I also would say when it talks about miraculous signs and wonders, I'm not suggesting that what we're going to do is the same as what occurred there, but we do see miraculous things happen And I think that it's important for us to recognize those when they do happen. Miraculous things like relationships being healed. 
people being angry with one another coming back together. Those are miracles in and of themselves that the Lord is the one that helps us do. And we should recognize that. And we should thank Him for that. And we should praise God. By doing these things, not only should we praise Him, but what we also hope is that He adds daily the number of those being saved. I went a little bit over. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, dear Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this beautiful image of this church. For them accepting, understanding, realizing who you are and what you had done for them. Dear Lord, help us be devoted not only as a body, but individually. Help me be devoted, dear Lord. As we leave here today, help us keep that devotion at the front of our thoughts as we express it and show it as as we are an example around and as we praise you, dear Lord. Help us add those who call you as their Lord and Savior. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.